sin, God was God showing them that they didn't need to come back and all this kind of stuff is what Justin was telling me. And I was like, I've seen people leave churches for good reasons and I've seen people leave churches for bad reasons. I've seen people leave church because they're called elsewhere and I've seen people leave church because they're going somewhere else on God's leading. And I'll tell you one thing, if you're praying about another opportunity in another church, in another place, in another field, um, when you leave, you leave on good terms. It's like I told Bree, it's old dead. We decided one day, um, well, I think that God is calling us elsewhere. I'd come and I'd meet with you guys and I would tell you that, you know, we're going to be going elsewhere. And, but we would still leave things in good relations because I want to be able to come back and visit. I want to be able to come back and see you guys. I want to come back and, and do things with you guys. If Ed wants to take, you know, go out witnessing on a Wednesday or something, oh, I can still go and do that, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, why would you burn the bridge and completely demolish all the time that you spent building a relationship just doesn't make any sense. It's kind of like building a bridge and then burning it right after you're done with it. Oh, my Let's light it on fire. Even though, and, and this this would be enough for another day, whatever. Yeah. But even though I, even though Eric Coburn hurt me really bad at Calvary, and that, that kind of, me and, me and Shana were forced to leave, I still made an appointment with him, and I said, we're not going to be coming back here. Thank you for all the time we've been here. He didn't like to hear that. And he got mad at me some more and did some more things and said some more mean things and stuff. But that, even that, I was totally the, the one that was being stepped on and, and crapped on and everything. But even in, even in that situation, you the godly thing to do is to say, is to part. Thank you. And I don't agree, but uh, we're, we're going somewhere else. But anyway, let's teach the word of the Lord. Let's yes. This thing they called him. He called him. I said no more on that. No more on that. If we have lunch afterwards, then we can. That doesn't mean we can't. If we everybody's available, then we can. All right. Let's get. Oh, you guys got your Bibles. Phones on silent? Yes. Oh, get my, um, get my Bible, please. No, I got this. Oh, God. Hmm? 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 Is that your mommy? mommy? Even though sometimes she yells at me for, for hitting her in the head, I still love her. Nathan, what did I say about where to put those? I said leave them in the box. Yes. In the box. Baby safety. 
son. Baby safety. It's called child. It's called child safety. They're sharp pencils. All it takes, all it takes, is just one, one quick thing, with the door. One quick time, he came in behind me. I didn't realize it. I could have stepped on him. I would have never forgiven myself. So it just we you have to always be on guard when there's a baby around. When there's a baby that's mobile. Well, you could just use one for now if you want while while you're here. Uh-huh. You can just use it while you're here if you want. <laughs> Did you hear how gracious she says she'll share with you. <laughs> All right, you guys ready? Let's get going. Let's get going. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Praise God. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, if you've come here to be entertained rather than to hear the word of the Lord, then you come to the wrong place. I'm Pastor Ed Spagnoli. This is Gospel Saving Church, one of God's true churches of these last days. And I'm here to teach you the Bible. I'm here to help you get through the Bible, to understand the Bible, not to entertain you. I'm not an actor. I'm not here to entertain you. Anyway, we always start out with a word of prayer and ask God to bless our message and Certainly bless our ears, for we know that the Bible says that without God's Holy Spirit to help us understand the Word, then we cannot understand anything. So we are very flesh. So let's let's pray and ask God to help us understand, and let's get to studying. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your wonderful Word. God, as David said, it is a light unto my feet and a lamp unto my path, Lord God. We, we would not know the way to go, Lord God, if we did not have your Word. We... Everybody that's really yours today, Lord God, was at one point not yours. And so, Lord, uh, we know, Lord God, those of us that are yours, that when we did not know you, we went astray. We, we did not know which way to go. Our, light, our paths were darkness. We just, that was it. And, and so, Lord, now we know the way, Lord, and thank you for showing us the way. Now, now we pray, Lord God, that because of our testimony, Lord, of you and and how we've come to you, Lord God, we, we pray that that would help others come to you, Lord God, and help others know you and help others find the way. And we love you and we praise you and we thank you. Help us to understand your word. Speak to us, Lord God, in the application that you have for us to understand your word, Lord. Help us to make uh, application to our lives by what we hear today. Let us be doers of the word and not hearers only. We thank you and we love you and we praise you. And we ask these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 13 today. We're going to finish the chapter, verses 49 through 52. The title of our sermon today, They Shook Off the Dust from Their Feet Against Them. They Shook Off the Dust from Their Feet Against Them. I'll give you a moment to get there. If you're not there, I'm going to read it. You can listen along. You can read along with me, however you'd like. Acts chapter 13, 49 through 52. Let's begin. The Bible says, Then the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city, raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and expelled them from their region. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium 
And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So in our last week's message, we we took an in-depth look at at a few of the points of the five total points of of the religion that's called Calvinism. We specifically looked at the points of the doctrine, namely unconditional election, irresistible grace, and limited atonement. There were two more, but I didn't really have time to refute those. I have written a book, though, refuting the P of the Perseverance of the Saints, also known as Oasis. Uh, It's also in the editing process right now. Uh, You can see for yourself once I'm done. But Calvin taught that a born-again person could not in any way forfeit their eternal life after they had come to be saved. But the Bible is super clear that we can and that we must be careful that we guard against our eternal life uh, with Jesus Christ. The Bible reads so strongly of this, even their their flagship verse kind of screams out loud a conditional salvation versus an unconditional salvation once we're saved. Matthew 24, 13, look at it like this. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Notice the being saved was contingent upon the enduring until the end. It's, it's just very simple. Plus, how Jesus placed the words in the sentence. Anyway, that's just a little teaser. Uh, anyway, I'm not going to make this whole message about that topic because I teach verse by verse through the Bible. And that's not the idea that's covered in our text of the Bible this week. So anyway, let's move on into our message and what God is saying to us to, through Paul today. Not sure you noticed last week, but I left off teaching right in the middle of the, of the section and of that idea that we were in to teach on the major ideas found in the first kind of two-thirds of the whole section. So today we pick up in verse 49, in the middle, like kind of that last little section, that last part of verse 13, verse 49 said again, and the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. Notice how that was written, right? The word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. Just just a prelude to this first little section, the sermon today is kind of like in three sections. It's, there's a, there's, a, there's three thrusts to the message, and so the first thrust is, notice the way that, that was written, and the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. Can two men, as Paul and Barnabas were, be able to spread the word of the Lord throughout the whole, or all the region? I, I, don't, I don't believe so, and, and I'll show you why. So, verses 44 through 48, we read of how the Jews, whom Paul and Barnabas had preached in the temple one week before, and then it come out the second week, but not to support them. They came out, remember, again, to go against them in their preaching to the Gentiles. They wanted to stop the word of the Lord going to the Gentiles. Uh, plus then, remember, Paul's response to them for their evil, rebellious hearts, and then the Gentiles' response after hearing the good news that God had sent salvation to them like he did to the Jews of old. Remember, I mean, I told you last week, if you're a Gentile, you should be dancing and, and shouting and getting on your knees and praising God because now salvation has come to the Gentiles. Well, then right after this, so a whole bunch of people came to know the Lord. Right after this, we read verse 49, the word of the Lord being spread throughout all the region. What a testimony to these brand new proselytes, these brand new Jewish Christians, and these brand new Gentile Christians. What a testimony to them, I say. And you may be saying, why? Why are you saying that that's a great testimony to them? Well, remember my question. And remember, they're in Antioch of Poseidon, just north of the island of Cyprus. And Luke just recorded that after they gave this message and the Gentiles came to the Lord, the word of, the God, the word of God or the word of the Lord or the preaching of Jesus Christ went throughout all the region, right? Which just wasn't the city of Poseidon. It was the entire region that this one city was in. 
And being that this was even a larger area than just the one city, there was no way I see here in Scripture that Paul and Barnabas alone were going to be able to spread the word of the Lord throughout the whole region just being the two of them. When you're, you're saying the word of the Lord is being spread throughout the whole region, it, 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 it kind of gives me the picture, the mental picture that that these, these little like worker ants, these worker bees are going out through all the region and they're kind of like kind of like how a tree, how it puts its roots down and then the roots go all out. Well, two people can only go like that. Two people can't be roots that go throughout all the region. So, so I see here that although these two men, Paul and Barnabas, they did more amazing things like preach the gospel to the whole area of Asia Minor and all the populated areas, that took them, that took them, 20 and 30 years to do that this this kind of all happened hey this is what happened people a lot of people got saved then all of a sudden the whole region's getting evangelized uh, here in our text I, I do believe that the only ones that 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 Paul and Barnabas weren't the only ones sharing the gospel or the word of the Lord. I believe it was all of those that had just gotten saved, all those new converts, all of those brand new Jewish Christians, all of those Gentile new Christians. And I believe that because of the way, as I talked about, the way that the scripture was just reading here. Paul and Barnabas would have been there with them, of course, but since they're only two men, they would have been maybe leading out groups or sending out groups, kind of like how Jesus sent out the, the 12 or at one point the seven two by two. Uh, now you say, Pastor Ed, how, how is this possible? They were brand new Christians. How is it possible? They, they didn't have time enough to learn evangelism. They didn't know, they didn't know enough about the word of the Lord to go throughout the whole region sharing it themselves. Well, that's, those are good questions, but here's my response. There's no way Paul and Barnabas could have evangelized the whole region by themselves in the amount of time that we read of here. And, and number two, no new convert, listen, listen very carefully to this, because this is, this is, I hope it strikes your heart. No new convert to Christ absolutely needs evangelism training and to know the word of the Lord and everything about Jesus Christ and everything about God's word in order to share God's word. Uh, to me, these are, ex I, I've been saved for about 18 years now, almost nine, almost 18, excuse me. And to me, the way I see this, and I've been in lots of churches and I've been around a lot of Christians, and these are excuses that Christians make in our modern world of lazy and easy Christianity that people have used as a way to be disobedient to the Great Commission. And simply, well, I just don't know enough, or well, well, I'm so new to the faith, and you know what, I just, I just can't go share the word. Well, to that, I respond this. How much of God's word did the converted, ex-demon-possessed man of the Gadareans learn when Jesus Christ healed them of the demons in Luke 8? So Jesus and his disciples came over on a boat. They encountered this man who was filled with a legion of demons, as he's there, he's uh, screaming and bowing down to the Lord. And Jesus said, how many are you? Well, I'm a legion. He, and he says, I, I cast you out. Go. And, and, and the pigs and, the, and the, the demons end up going into the swine. Well, the man is, is laying there in the right mind. And the people of the region see it. And they're like, kind of blown away. And they eventually ask him to leave. But nevertheless, this man is clothed in his right mind. Luke 8, he's been healed what does Jesus say to him? He comes to Jesus, Luke 8, 38, 39. Now he had just been cleansed and he was a demon possessed man who was full of demons and full of craziness. Yet Jesus says in Luke 8, 38 and 39, look, look, listen to this little interaction here. Now the man from whom the demons had departed, 
begged him that he might be with him. Oh, that's that's an awesome testimony of salvation. That that's remember how I told you last week that if you really are saved, you'll want to be around, you know, saved people. Well, this this man had gotten saved. He wanted to be with Jesus, but Jesus sent him away, saying, verse thirty nine. Listen to this: Return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way and he proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. Again. How much did this man know of the Word of God when he just got saved? He knew nothing. He didn't know it. He, he knew what Jesus did for him. And that's it. He, he, he may have studied the Bible before he got demon-possessed, but I don't know if the demons may have taken that knowledge away. Okay. Nevertheless, he, he didn't really know all the things about Jesus Christ, too. Jesus Christ had just healed him. How much did he know? He knew literally nothing. Yeah, Jesus said, hey, you got your testimony. <laughs> you got what you were and you got what you are now. Go and tell people about me. If you've been truly born again, God's made you a new creation in Christ Jesus. Uh, just like this ex-deem possessed man, you evangelizing doesn't depend on the fact that you know everything about God's word and, and you have all the details about Jesus Christ, uh, nor that you understand and can, and it can explain every doctrine perfectly. Because you know what? Nobody can. And nobody knows everything about God's word. No, you doing evangelism, you sharing Jesus Christ with others depends on will you be a vessel for God? And will you just tell people who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for you? Uh, now, me, I'm even going to use myself as an example here. I use myself a couple times in this, in this, in this message because I kind of, this some of these things in this message kind of pertain to me. When, when I was a literal babe, in Christ. I don't think I was saved for I don't think I was saved for a month or two. And at the time I didn't go to a church. I wasn't in a church. I thought they were all like a like a very like a very way off doctrine church that my whole family kind of grew up in. And uh, and I and I, I I thought they were all bad like that because all they wanted was my money. And so I I wasn't right for this, mind you. I wasn't right for not going to church. Basically I just was like I can't go to church. I just want to know about God. I, I just, you know, want, I love God. And I didn't, I was such a new babe. I didn't go to church when I was growing up. So I just thought, I just need God's word. I just need God. And so that's what I went. Again, God corrected me on that later because real Christians are in church. Um, but anyway, and so all I knew was the little bit I had been reading out of God's word for a couple few months that I had been saved. And, and all of a sudden, God spoke to my heart one day. And he said, Ed, he goes, go on, look in the men's eyes and tell me what you see. Walk around your job, walk around the city. Tell me what you see in men's eyes. And I said, well, Lord, I, I see death. Because I looked, started looking into people's eyes and started seeing what I saw. And God said to me one day, he said, now go. You were, you were dead just like they are now. Now you go tell them about me. Now, again, I was only in the faith maybe two or three months. I had just come to the faith. And God said, this is what I want you to do. Go do this for me. And now, <laughs> I just did it. I didn't think anything about it. I didn't, I don't, well, well, Lord, you know, I don't know. And I just was like, Lord, I know what you did for me. I, I know that you took me from this evil man, this, this evil, probably demon-oppressed man, heavily demon-oppressed man. And, and I know you saved me. And I, I know you've, you've and, and so, Lord, I'm going to just go. 
So, so what did I do? I got myself some gospel tracts. I had my testimony of what Jesus Christ has done for me, uh, which was to turn me from a raving lunatic, Satan-filled monster like in Luke 8 into a loving, super kind, filled with love person and saved by Jesus Christ. And he saved my marriage too. And so what did I do? I went out into the world and I shared Jesus Christ at the workplace. I shared Jesus Christ at the gas station. I shared Jesus Christ wherever God told me to share Jesus Christ. And, and I talked to people and I didn't know everything. And people asked me lots of questions. And you know what I knew? I didn't know much. I didn't know much at all. My little lot of my daily Bible readings that I was getting for just a few months that I had been saved. And, uh, but what I had was, I said, I, you know, I don't know, I don't know. But here's what Jesus Christ has done for me. This is the way I was. Now I love. Now I live with peace. Now God saved my marriage. Now I'm just, this, I have this peace and I'm, this is awesome life. Whoa, well, you know, but nevertheless, whatever they said, whether they accepted or rejected, that's what I did because that's all that I had. Was I scared? (laughs) Maybe a little sometimes, maybe a lot other times, but I knew one thing. Jesus Christ loved me, gave me a new life, gave me a new marriage, gave me new relationships with my family members, and I owed everything to him, and he was worth everything to me. So what did I do? I did what God called me and told me to do and his Holy Spirit taught me as I went, and that's that. And still to this day, I, I go evangelizing. I live an evangelical lifestyle. I get into conversations with people. And I, and, and I still today go spread the word of the Lord. So this whole idea that I can't go evangelize because I don't know enough or because I'm just a babe in Christ, to me, I just see it as an excuse to be lazy, Christians. It's an excuse to be lazy. Because here I believe that we see in this section of Scripture that these brand new literal babes in Christ are out there making a huge impact for the Lord and preaching God and Jesus Christ to people just as I did when I was a babe in Christ. And praise God for their example to us. So to you, my listener today, I want to say this. I hope that you are serving God and serving Jesus Christ and living evangelical Christian lives and not making excuses as to ignore, excuse away Jesus Christ's great commission as to all of his followers. I was asked just recently, here at Gospel Saving Church, we do communion every Sunday. And I was asked just recently, well, why do do you guys do communion every Sunday and all the time? And I said, well, I said, here's why. I said, because the word of God, Jesus Christ said, do this often in remembrance of me. I said, so what I do is I love Jesus. I said, I don't do it to be saved or to be right with God. I said, I do it because he said to do it. And so Jesus said, evangelize. Jesus said, take communion. Jesus says, don't forsake fellowship one another together. So whatever Jesus Christ said to do, if you love him, these are the things that you should be doing also. Anyway. Anyway, moving forward, verse 50. These great numbers of converts that Paul and Barnabas were leading to share Christ and God's word were making such an impact. And this even shows me more. They were making such an impact. Look at how some of the evil-hearted, important Jewish people there reacted to that. Look at verse 50. But the Jews stirred up devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city, and they raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. Why was it then if the holes, if, if these great numbers of Christians, converts, had been sharing the word of the Lord, why is it then that they only attacked Paul and Barnabas? You say, well, Pastor, doesn't this 
kind of speak again what you were doing? No. Again, I still hold to the fact that there's no way two men would have been able to evangelize a whole region without helpers. Those helpers would have had to have been brand new babes in Christ. And so I totally see that. So why? where's the deal? Where do I come with that? Why, and why did they attack just Paul and Barnabas? Well, common tactic of war, in, in case you didn't know. Take down the leaders... And the crew and the followers will fall as well, usually. Once the leaders are out of the picture, usually the pawns will fall back in order unless one takes up the mantle of leadership, which is probably what I see happening here in this little city here. Probably all the believers after Paul and Barnabas were out and they were gone, they probably picked up the region and still continued to live in evangelical lifestyles, maybe not to the same extent, but to an extent. What do Paul and Barnabas do when these God-hating Jews reject their preaching of Jesus Christ and so reject Jesus Christ, as Jesus said in Luke 10, 16, if they reject you, they reject me. And if they reject me, they reject the one that sent me. Look at verse 51. But they, title of the sermon, shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium. They follow Jesus Christ's words in Matthew 10, 14. He said this, Whoever will not receive you nor hear your words when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. And they do so, and as we'll read next week, they go on to a new city of Iconium, which is a little bit, a little bit of southeast from where they are, and they go right into another synagogue, and they preach the word of the Lord, and they try, and they go to some more Jews. Now, this principle of Jesus that we read about here, shaking the dust off your feet, our whole title of our sermon today, by the way, should still be practiced by us today, Christians. This is, I, I don't, I understand, and I believe, and I trust in, and I follow all of God's words to the best of my human ability to be possible outside of human weakness at some points. And, but what I will say about this one command from Christ is, is this is one of the harder commandments for me to follow of Jesus Christ. This one here, uh, God's word never goes out of style. I, I don't care if you're today, tomorrow, a thousand years from now, he still tarries. God's word is God's word. It still stands. Don't let society push it out because that's what society, that's what the world will try to do. The world will try to make you think that the Bible isn't applicable anymore. The Bible doesn't matter. You know those things in the Bible. We don't have to take those things anymore. That was just for then or whatever. No, don't let the world do that. The things that Christ taught, the things the Bible taught are still applicable then, today, tomorrow, or 500 years from now, whatever, until Jesus Christ comes back. So, although I said I... I what I did about this principle that Jesus Christ taught and the disciples followed, again, this is one of those principles that's been hard for me to practice throughout the years that I've ministered for the Lord Jesus. If the concept in terms of today, real simple, the idea here, if someone rejects your message of, of Jesus Christ that you're giving them, don't push them and keep trying to talk to them about him. Move on to others. Move on to others. Again, ouch. This hurts me. It, it, why does it hurt me? I think it should hurt you too. 
if you have a real heart for the Lord and you truly love Him, then you should truly love all those around you whom you come to meet, and especially those whom God gives you an opportunity to minister to. That This is what the Word says, 1 John 4, 8. I posted it on my Facebook this week. He who does not, I posted the end, God is love. But the whole verse is, he who does not love does not know God. How can you continue to see all the lost around you and those that you come in contact with and yet still not reach them for the Lord and then still and then when they reject you how do you not have a heart and love them even though they have rejected you I can't, I can't see it if you love people 1 Corinthians 13 4th rate love suffers long and is kind love does not envy love does not parade itself it's not puffed up does not behave rudely does not seek its own it's not provoked thinks no evil does not rejoice in iniquity but rejoices in the truth bears all things believes all things hopes all things. So if somebody's rejected your, your witness to them of Jesus Christ, you, even though you, you, you know what Jesus said, you're going to push on, you're going to move on, that doesn't mean you still can't hope. You should still be hoping in love that they come to know Christ. I know I have lots of family members that have rejected my witness of Jesus Christ. And you know what? We're going to talk about that in a little bit. I haven't given up on them, even though I don't push them anymore to accept the Lord or to turn to the Lord. Because hope, uh, love hopes all things and endures all things. Love never fails. Love says to these Jews, don't, rege- don't reject Jesus Christ. Turn. Uh, don't turn. Don't, or please turn. Please turn. I don't want you to burn. This love should cause you to feel the same way for the lost that are around you today. Now, ironically, this principle that Jesus Christ taught for those that reject your message of him to others really feels good to your flesh. Yeah. Well, Lord, you're going to give it to them. I hate to say that, but if everybody's being honest with one another, we are two people. We are a flesh people, and we are a soul or a spirit people. And to your flesh, you're like, yeah, get them, Lord. They rejected you, now get them. That's what you want to say in your flesh. But in your soul, if you're a real true Christian, this should hurt you if people reject your message of Christ. And Jesus, he didn't teach this principle because he loves it when people reject him so that they will get what they deserve and go to hell. Oh yeah, God, get them. They rejected me. Burn them up forever. No, 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 no. Jesus Christ loves the whole world, and even though they've rejected him, he doesn't give up on him either. And he doesn't want him to go to hell either. If he did, that would go against his very own word, Ezekiel 18.23. Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? In Ezekiel 33.11, say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live turn turn from your evil ways why should you die O house of israel so god loves people even though they reject him he's still with a pleading heart please turn to me don't turn away i don't want you to go to hell so remember jesus christ didn't say to shake the dust off your feet if somebody rejects your message him because he desires those people to burn in hell. No, he said this for, well, there's a couple reasons, and we're going to talk about them now. God is the most wonderful and respectful being, creator, human, angelic, whatever, and he doesn't want people to be forced to do what they don't want to do. He's not, God's never going to force anybody 
that's, that's not saved, he's never going to force them to be saved. You must be saved. Click, and I'm going to click a switch, and you're going to be forced whether you want it or not. He's never going to force you because he's a wonderful, respectful creator, and, and, he's, and he's full of love. And love says, love says, come to me. Love doesn't say, you will be mine now. Real love is a relationship type of love. And in relationship type of love, relationship doesn't force people to have a relationship with them. Love says, I desire you to have a relationship with me. Come to have one with me. But if you don't, love says, I understand. I'll let you go. And then, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll still love you anyway, even though you don't love me. Uh, but even as much or more then God not wanting to force people to take what they don't want. We have the second reason that I really believe that Jesus Christ said this command and that Paul and Barnabas followed it here. Number two, God's not pushy. And the reason he's not pushy, he knows that being pushy pushes people away. Absolutely. I have an experience with my eldest son, who unfortunately right now is a prodigal. And part of the reason he's a prodigal is because when he was a new babe in Christ, uh, I, w- I was kind of a, I was a newer babe in Christ, and I was kind of pushy. And when he didn't necessarily do all the things that I wanted him to do to, to follow Jesus Christ, I pushed him, and I pushed him, and I pushed him, and I pushed him, and I pushed him harder, and I pushed him harder. And you know what I did by pushing him harder? I pushed him right away from the Lord. And I admit that, and I have apologized, and I know that I've done that, and it breaks my heart. But that's unfortunately one of the reasons why I see Jesus Christ said what he did here. God and Christ know that the more we push people to turn to Christ, the more we push people or try to force them, the more they're what? The more they're going to run away. So God says, no pushy. Bible says that God's kids are just to simply plant the seeds of Jesus Christ. We're supposed to plant the seeds of God's word. And the Bible also says we're supposed to water those seeds. We'll talk about what that means in a minute. And then God will give the increase. But nowhere in the word of God does it say we push someone to accept Jesus Christ until they do. Because if we do stuff like that, we're really no better than the Muslims who, in most of their countries, they force people to accept Islam by the sword and by a, a tax and by evil. God doesn't want to push anybody to do something that they don't want it to do, even though it breaks his heart that their choice may send them to hell. Then, if obviously we aren't to force or push those uh, the, the seeds that we've planted, if someone rejects our witness of Christ, then we must water those seeds. What is that? How, how do we water those seeds? Well, that would be by prayer. And I'm sure that by God's Holy Spirit working in their hearts through our prayers, through our, our, our humbling ourselves and praying for the people, that, that God is going to chase down the rebellious sinner, same as he did me, for the rest of the days of their life until they die. An example for me, again, I, I hate to use myself, but I told you earlier on that there's a lot of points in this message that kind of apply to me. Well, God had reached out to me Many, many, many times when I was a younger boy. Many, many, many times when I was a younger boy. Up until probably an early teenager and then really God stopped reaching out to me as far as like people, sending people. But I'll tell you what, even though people had let me go because they saw they couldn't push me unto the Lord, God never, ever, ever stopped pursuing me because in my early 20s, when I was, my life was falling apart, 
And my life was a wreck. There was God right there. Acts 17, although God is not far from every one of us, God was still right there. And then when I was kind of looking for him, when I was, well, maybe God's the answer. He kind of ran to me and kind of scooped me up and helped me find him. And it was an awesome experience. But even though people let me go, God never stopped pursuing me. So, So Christians, we're supposed to evangelize others, the Great Commission, but if they reject us like we heard from Jesus Christ and read of Paul and Barnabas doing today's text, we're, not to, we're, we're to let them go and not be pushy, but we're supposed to let them go and, and from my personal experience, pray for them that God would still pursue them and that God would still work on, his, on their hearts by His Holy Spirit. So don't be pushy with anyone who rejects. Pray for them. 1 Timothy 2, this is God's heart, 1 and 3 and 4. Therefore, Paul writes to Timothy, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and givings of thanks be made for all men. Why? Verses 3 and 4, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So evangelize Christians, then Pray, Christians, and then pray harder for those you've witnessed to that have rejected you, whether they've rejected or accepted Jesus Christ, and let God deal with them. Even though Jesus Christ tells you that you shouldn't be pushy because it'll most likely push them away from God more than they already are, we must knock the dust off our feet as hard as that is and as hard as that's been for me to do throughout the years, and we must move on to the next soul. But as I said, don't be, be concerned and be prayerful, but don't worry because that worry is not of God. Give it to the Lord and ask him to continue to pursue those people because even though long after people give up on other people, God doesn't give up on people. Verse 51, moving on. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now, you may be looking at this message in this section of Scripture and you're going, Pastor Ed, did, did you just not say that Jesus Christ, Paul Barnabas, didn't say, hey, knock the dust off your feet and then, let, yeah, let's be glad that they're on their way to hell. And then doesn't verse 51 say right there, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit? I mean, doesn't it seem like, Pastor Ed, that that's, that's kind of like they are rejoicing that the people did reject God? Well, things are not always what they seem to be yes, they're filled with joy and God's Holy Spirit, but that doesn't. But don't please don't assume that that God's happy or they're happy because they rejected Jesus Christ and they're on their way to hell. If they were, if they were, if this really did mean this, then the Bible would be contradicting itself, and Paul and Barnabas would be contradicting themselves because Paul writes in Romans nine one through five. He says this. I tell you the truth in Christ, I'm not lying. My conscience also bearing witness in, my, or in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. Why? Verse 3, For I could wish that I myself were accursed for Christ, from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. Do you know who that is? That's the Jews. That's not Gentiles. My countrymen, according to the flesh, are the Jews. He goes on in verse 4, Who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises, of whom are the, of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came. So Paul there just said, 
I don't want my fellow brethren to die and go to hell. And I wish myself that I would be a curse from Christ so that they don't die and go to hell. So here, if they were getting excited about the Jews rejecting Jesus Christ and going to hell, why would Paul then have said, I wish God that I myself were accursed for them so that they wouldn't go to hell. So there's, there's no way you're going to make me believe that even though that's what the scripture seems to read, you have to know the whole context of the whole Bible here. We're not just talking about taking one verse out of context. There's no way that Paul or Barnabas would have allowed these new converts or even themselves to have joy over the Jews' rejection of Jesus Christ and how they were headed for hell. There's no way, and I just won't believe it, according to not just the verse or the two verses, but the whole entire Bible. So, why were the disciples filled with joy in God's Holy Spirit then, in light of the verse just telling us that the Jews rejected? Well, there could be multiple reasons, but kind of our last facet to today's message. But the number, my number one guess as to why they were rejoicing at the fact of, of this what happened was because Jesus Christ told them that they should rejoice over what just happened to them. Matthew 5. 11 and 12. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice, he tells us. Rejoice when people hurt us or when people reject us? Yes. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So again, I don't think that they were telling them these Jews to, to be thankful and excited that these Jews they rejected were going to hell, but rather they were being excited because that's what Jesus Christ told us to do. According to Jesus Christ, being rejected for his name's sake is something that's exciting. It's, it's something that we should rejoice in. Uh, he said that we're going to have treasure in heaven when it happens to us. And, uh, you know, I, I just as an aside, I may be like Bill Gates or Donald Trump wealthy in heaven. If that's the case, I'll tell you what, I face a lot of persecution in my life for Jesus Christ. But praise God. Praise God. I'm going to rejoice, right? Christians, Jesus Christ told us that persecution was going to be a part of our lives. We'll just call it today part of the package. Part of the package. And I'm not going to lie. We're going to talk about persecution for a little bit here. Persecution hurts. Persecution doesn't feel good. And I know, as I just said, a lot of experience. So, so since it's a part of the life of a Christian that Jesus Christ told real Christians that we have to face, and it's not really fun, and it hurts a lot when it happens to you if you're a real Christian, God wants me, God, he was putting on my heart. I, I kind of was almost done with the message at this point. And then the Lord's like, no, 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 I have one more, more little, one more little exhortation there I want you to give the people. Just, just one more exhortation. He said, I want you to help them understand or get a good grasp on the perspective of when it happens. Because Jesus said it was going to happen. So it's either when, it's not an if. It's going to happen. Uh, I do strongly believe that if you are truly saved and born again, and, and here's the key, living the life that Christ told you that you were supposed to live. There, there's the key. Like the lives of Paul and Barnabas and these disciples that we're reading about here today in our scripture, then you will face persecution for your love for him at some point, period, the end, even in America. And I think that as the end times wear on, until the end fully comes, this persecution towards all those living truly for Jesus Christ will get worse 
and worse and worse. And the only reason I believe that is because that's what the Bible says. It's going to get worse. So my first words of perspective for us today, and God really, God really helped me and, and my own self, especially with some personal things that I've had go on in the last couple weeks. But my, my first words of perspective for us today is that we need to be ready and be prepared for it because the scripture says that we should. Jesus warned us it was coming. The Bible warns us that it's coming. We need to be ready. If, if God thought it so to warn us so much that it's coming, what does he want? He wants us to know it's coming. He wants us to be ready. You're not going to be prepared for something that's coming if you don't know it's coming. And it's going to catch you off guard. And, it's gonna, and if it catches you off guard, it's more, uh, it's more applicable. It's more really going to take, it could take you down. Versus if you're ready for it, you know it's coming, then you can kind of mentally prepare. It's kind of like a football game. I used to play football. And, and, and in the football game, they never just, the day came and they're like, okay, get out there in five minutes, you're going to play the game. No, never, not once, or any performance for that matter. If you're in the band of a football game or you're a basketball player, they never just said, oh, here, you know, in five minutes, you're going to play a game. No, they gave you the schedule for the whole season, right? And why did they give you the schedule for the whole season? So that you could have your whole life planned around these certain times when these performances were going to need to be performed and so you could be ready so that you could be you know what they call in the, in the sports world on your game well then same thing christians persecution's coming we need to prepare for it and be ready for it and not let us not let it catch us off guard because then it could make us stumble and let me tell you that's not a good stumble so knowing and being ready is kind of half the battle. Now, now, when the persecution comes and you're right in the middle of facing it and, and you are ready for it, here's another tip to think about. Keep your focus as it's happening on how Jesus Christ said to handle it and not how the world and the fake and worldly preachers of false Christianity teach about it, right? Matthew 24, 9 through 10, Jesus said, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation, speaking of the end times, and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake, verse 10. And then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. And Jesus Christ said it was coming, John 16, 33. This is how he said we should handle it. This is how he said we should be focused on it when it's happening. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. There's the key. Did you notice what he said? In me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. Nevertheless, absolutely, totally speaking to Christians on how (laughs) the garbage that we're going to face to follow Jesus Christ from other people, from rejectors of the faith, from from people that are apostates, from, from people that don't love God. In the world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. That there's our focus. So, so Matthew 5, Jesus Christ said that you will, that we will face it. But he said, rejoice because you're, uh, you're real. If you're facing persecution for Jesus Christ, you know that's one sign that you really love God. Because you know what? You really love God, so that's why you're going through it. If you didn't love Jesus Christ, you didn't love God, you wouldn't be going through that persecution. So, so you're real. And, and because you face it, remember, Christian, 
you're going to have treasure in heaven. Wow, that's awesome. Praise God. Matthew 24, people will hate you and will kill you for your love for him. But then John 16, another way we should handle it, you should face these tribulations, but be happy because Jesus says, I've made an escape from your great enemy sin that leads all humanity to hell. And you're God's child and you're free. So when we have to face this terrible persecution, we can be ready, first of all. And when it happens, instead of getting down or disheartened or, uh, or, or focusing on it, because let me tell you, it's real easy to focus on the persecution when it comes. It's real easy. We must not do that, and we must remember the promises of Jesus Christ. And I mean, by really remember, I mean really remember. Really remember, not just have it as a thought, but really remember, and by really remember, lay hold of what Jesus Christ said and live in his promises and not get downed or disheartened because whatever we end up focusing on, the hurt, betrayal, the pain, the suffering, the loss, or, or, or we can focus on Jesus Christ's love for us. And the rewards and the blessings Jesus Christ offers us. And the eternity with Him and God Almighty, which we can have forever. Whatever our focus is on, whatever we end up focusing on, it'll either kill, it could kill our faith or it could strengthen our faith and encourage us. So, so what I'm trying to communicate that what we should do when persecution comes, I, I want you to put it like this. Think about it like this. God gave me this, this really awesome analogy. I hope you think it's as, as awesome as I thought it was. But think about this. Think about persecution like this. You've got this job that you got to do. And it's a really dirty, smelly, stinky, nasty job full of all kinds of hurt and all kinds of, you're getting hurt all the time and all kinds of hazards. And it's just a, man, the job that you're like, why do I have to have this job? Jobs so dirty and nasty and filthy that when you come home, your whole car smells like the nasty job that you have to work. Your whole when you get home, you get home, your whole house starts smelling like this dirty, nasty job, and the bruises and the wounds from all the hazards that you have. But but nevertheless, you can focus on that, or you could focus on putting it in Jesus Christ's analogy, his terms here, or you could focus on. I got this beautiful, loving, accepting wife at home. And when I come home, I know she's going she's gonna to welcome me home. And even though I smell bad, she's going to give me a hug. And she's, gonna, and, and she's got a nice hot shower prepared for me. And it's got all these smelly good things. And I'm going to be able to take a shower and get my hair cleaned. And I'm going to get all cleaned up. Now, you, could, you got the bad job. It's a nasty job. You can either focus on the nasty job or you can focus on all the, the wonderful things that are going to come to you because you did the nasty job. And that's how we can kind of look at persecution as Christians. We can look at it through just looking at the nasty job we got to do and the nasty things that are going to happen to us. Or we can look at all the promises of Christ and all the, the wonderful guarantees He gives us, the rewards in heaven. Hey, I've overcome your biggest enemy, sin and death. You can go to heaven. You're going to be with God forever. You're going to, a child of God. You've got rewards in heaven. And, and look at me. I love you. And I'm yours and you're mine. And I'm your husband. Wow. Anyway, Christians, remember, persecution is coming. But we don't have to focus on the nasty, dirty, filthy, terrible job that we have to do. Because it is, it's not fun. Persecution is not fun.
Not fun at all. But, but God and Christ and his promises, that's where it's at. So, to God's kids recapping. Uh, number one, no, no matter how much experience you have telling others about Jesus Christ in the Bible, whether you're new in the faith or whether you're old in the faith, whether you just started in the faith, my exhortation to you, what God's Word tells you to do today, get out there and be open about who Jesus Christ is to you and what He's done for you. And don't use anything as a crutch to not tell others about Jesus Christ. God just wants you to have a willing heart and to do what He called you to do. He'll make the way. He'll prepare you if you will just do what He says. If the people you talked about Jesus Christ, number two thing we want to talk about, that we talked about today, if they accept you, great. If and they repent and so turn to Him, great. And, and then what you should do, work on getting them discipled. They're a new believer. you got to get them discipled. Get them trained up in the Lord. If they reject you, and, and they are harsh and they say, you know what? Don't talk to me about Jesus Christ anymore. Leave me alone. Then the Bible says that hard principle that I talked about today. You must knock the dust off your feet and you must move on to the next soul. But please, 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 the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're mighty in God. They're prayer. They're supplications. They're they're givings of thanks pray to god for these people even though you've left them alone ask god to send his holy hounds of heaven to go get those people and and ask god never to give up on them and pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and if they persecute you well be ready like our last thing we talked about be ready and don't focus on the persecution Focus on the love God has for you and the awesome promises that he has waiting for you and the fact that you're his and that you got that nice, warm, hot shower waiting for you in heaven with lots of good spices and lots of good smells, good stuff and shampoos. And that's where our focus needs to be. Those are my words. Those are my words to those who love Jesus Christ. Those are my words that are God's kids. Now, to anyone out there, maybe you're not God's kid. Maybe you're not saved. The Bible says that just because the preacher preaches doesn't mean he's going to be preaching to always people that are God's true children. So maybe you're out there today and you're not saved. You do not know Jesus Christ. You are not born again. Uh, but maybe you think you are. We live in a day and age today, especially in America. I'm not sure about the rest of the world. But we live in a day and age in America where 85 to 90, 90% of the people of all Americans believe themselves to be Christians. Yet, when in fact, although many of those who believe themselves to be saved and true Christians, they don't even know what the biblical definition of the word Christian means. Uh, I live in the Dallas, Texas area. And when you go out on the road, you may see one person that actually obeys the law of the land and does what God's word says, obey the law of the land. The nine out of ten who are the ones that generally professing themselves to be saved, they're not keeping God's law of the land, and they're not keeping. And so therefore, we see just the opposite of what we really see to be saved. The majority of the people that I'm speaking about, I'm not sure if you're one, that they don't read their Bibles. They don't pray uh, unless they're going through a really hard time. And, you know, and then when they're going through a really hard time, well, oh, then i got to call on God. But of course, that's not real relationship. That's not real salvation. That's kind of like God is an exit door, you know, kind of like, oh, I need out of this situation. God, help, please, you know, 911. And then after their situation's all cured up, 
Then they turn their back on God and they do their own thing. Well, anyway, uh, these people have no idea what it means to be guaranteed of eternal life when they die. They just hope that they will go to heaven when they die. And as I said in last week's message, it's it's a section out of Romans, and I'll say it again this week. If you have to hope for something, you don't know for sure that you have it. It's as simple as that. If you have an ice cream cone in your hand, you don't need to hope that you have an ice cream cone. If you're hoping that you're going to go to heaven, then you don't know for sure that you're going to go to heaven because you know you just don't have it because you're just hoping. Uh, So this is a really sad state. Uh, But I'll tell you this. Are you the one I'm speaking to right now? If this is you, I want to tell you, I need to tell you, you're in some serious trouble. For again, if you have to hope for something, you don't know for sure that you have it guaranteed. So if this is you, both God and Jesus Christ and I want you to know how to truly be saved and how to truly have an assurance of of eternal life with God when you die. So what does it mean? Now, now many times I go through what Christ says and many times, but God said this time, he said, no, no, no. It's, uh, as far as the context goes and, and of the whole section and what, you know, all, all the things and, and, and that you've seen in your life, just, just say this. What does it mean to have this true guarantee? Well, I'll tell you this right here. here here's what it means to have a true guarantee. Isaiah 55, 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Seek the Lord while he may be be found. Jesus Christ, Matthew 7, 7. Seek and you will find. You see, Jesus Christ is the key, but how does he say that, what does he say it takes in order to have eternal life through him or in him? I can tell you, I can, and I have many times, I've kind of told people, but but you're only going to come through a true assurance of your salvation, of you being right with Jesus Christ, if you seek Him in His Word, if you allow Him to minister to you, if you go, if you're seeking diligently, Lord, what does it mean? And then you actually go and you actually show God, hey, you know what, God? I'm going to put some meat in my game here. I'm going to put some, some, some real effort to know what it means and to know what you say about eternal life. Because I can tell you, but then that doesn't, that's not you seeking. And God wants you to seek Him. And then only by a true, if you really care about Him, if you really seek Him, and He shows you, He's the only one that can give you this assurance. He can, He's the only one that can actually show you intimately through, through the Holy Spirit what it means to be saved, and to come and have a relationship with Him. So now, God wants to find out if you really care about eternal life and a relationship with Him, or if you just want to coast through life until death with a scary hope that you will be saved. Oh, maybe, maybe, I I think, maybe in believing just whatever you want or whatever somebody else has told you, and you can trust those uncertain grounds, because that's like quicksand. All those things are like quicksand. You can trust all those things and still have a a hope, or you can seek Him for the answer in His Word, 
And you can allow him, after you seek him, to show you. How will you respond, O man or woman? How will you respond? Again, if you're hoping that you will be saved. The Bible says that you don't have salvation. You either know you are for sure 100% or you're hoping. And if you're hoping, you're not right with God. So how will you respond this day, oh man or woman? God gives this decision up and he leaves it up to you for he gave you your own free will, but he desires you to seek him if you care enough about your eternal life. Please seek God while he is near, for he is near right now while you're alive. When we die, that's it. Bible says it's appointed for man to die once and then the judgment. So when you die, it's too late. So God is near, Acts chapter 17, God is not far from any one of us. So seek the Lord while he may be found now with all your heart. And I promise you, if you do, If you show God you're interested and you go to his word and you seek him, God will answer you. He'll give you the answer and then you can know for sure once you you do what he says to, to be saved, then you can know truly that you have eternal life in heaven with God. But how will you respond? Let's pray. God, we thank you for this wonderful day. We thank you for this, your word. God in heaven, as I said in the beginning of the message, Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, Lord God. This world is full of darkness, Lord. In fact, there's no light in it. The only lights in it are from you. God, everything else in this world, materialism and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life and the lust of the eyes, Lord, all those things, all those things are darkness. All those things are darkness. So God, I just pray right now, Lord God, that those that are listening, Lord, if, they're, if we're yours, Lord, I pray we'd be strengthened and encouraged today that although we got some bad news that persecution's coming if we're living for you like we should be, Lord, all, we got some good news, Lord, that when we are, we got great promises and we got great rewards waiting for us. And, and we could be of good cheer because we know that you've, you've paid the great price for us and, and we're going to get to go to be with you forever, Lord. And I, I, and I just pray, Lord, that, and as I said earlier, I, I pray that we'd be ready for this persecution to come. And I pray also, Lord God, that when it does come, we, we'd, be, we'd be of good cheer, Lord, and that we would do and follow your words and your word and the things that you tell us to do. That although shaking the dust off of our feet, off of people that have rejected us and, and, and basically told us that they don't want anything to do with Jesus Christ, I pray that we would do it. Lord, as hard as your word is to follow sometimes, Lord, I pray that we would be men and women of God, totally sold out to you, doing whatever it is that you told us to do. And for Lord, for those that are listening, there, Lord, that are that are just hoping that they're going to go to heaven, or and they're not, and they're not sure, one hundred percent. Lord, I pray that they would realize that this is a dangerous spot to be in, and I pray, dear God, that they would turn to you and they would seek you and your word. And I pray, dear God, that they would come to have a full assurance, that they would come to have an, an assurance. Period, Lord, that they would truly come to be born again and truly come to be saved. And I pray, dear God, that you would draw them to you harder than you ever have before. And I love you. And we love you here as a church, dear God. And we pray this message go out to the whole world and really touch people's hearts for you. And we ask these things, all these things, in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.